welcome to The Chosen Brew. My name's Matt Lavery, and this is the beer podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that change. Matt, 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 Matt. Ian McNally here, as you know, Matt. The The Chosen Brew beer podcast is, is my podcast, Matt. You can't just jump in and start doing my oh, podcast. Well, I thought as we did the Wheel of Sport together, it would be okay for me to join in on this one as well. Matt, are you trying to kind of segue some sort of advert for another podcast within the intro of my podcast? Because that would seem very unruly, and I'm not too happy about it. Not at all, Ian. But I just thought, as I'm here, I'd mention the Wheel of Sport, where you and I talk through the greatest sports stories ever told. What stories have we covered? Uh, We've covered everything from a con man who conned his way through a career as a footballer, to an ice skater who tried to have her Olympic teammate killed or at least seriously injured we've also covered the uh, the boston marathon the first ever female competitor who was assaulted in the first two miles of the race the birthplace of the golf hooligan in 1999 the Ryder cup we've covered the oxford cambridge boat race from 1887 as i remember Matt. we've covered uh, you know people coming back from serious life-threatening injuries uh, like monica sellers and mario lemieux Australian heroes such as uh, Cliff Young and even the New South Wales Rugby League Grand Final from 1909. Why wouldn't you listen to this podcast? Exactly. Well, I better be going, Ian, but all the best and good luck with uh, this week's episode of The Chosen Brew. This month's, Matt, come on, professionals. No. (laughs) Let's get into The Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. You can find the link to the amazing Wheel of Sport podcast in the show notes. But this episode, I spoke with Matthew Curtis from The Pellicle, an amazing beer writer and beer photographer from the UK. This was a fantastic podcast. Lots of talk about cask beer, lots of talk about Czech Pilsners and American IPAs and just everything to do with beer. Such a joy to speak with Matthew Curtis. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. With me all the way in the UK is Matthew Curtis. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, Ian, and thank you very much for uh, inviting me on the show. Absolute pleasure. I'm really excited about this episode because I've got a confession to make, Matthew. I, I've been a long-time voyeur, which is is creepy as it sounds, um, of your <laughs> work. Uh, yeah, of your work on Twitter, and and you are an avant uh, tweeter, but also you you do a publication called The Pellicle and mm-hmm. a, an accompanying podcast as well. But can you tell us a little bit about where you fit in into the beer world in the UK and um, how everything's going? Uh, Yes, indeed. So um, I'm a a full-time beer writer and photographer. Uh, I've been full-time freelance uh, since uh, February 2016. Um, I got into into beer in a big way, and we'll talk a lot more about this as I go through my beers later, but I got into beer in a big way in 2010. And uh, shortly after that, I started a beer blog. Um, and I'd always enjoyed writing and I'd always had had blogs. Um, but uh, the beer one kind of took off. And about 18 months into that, I got commissioned to write um, uh, some articles for people. And I had a, a full time job, not in beer, in, in musical instrument distribution. Um, and uh, eventually, about 2015, um, I started writing for a website called Good Beer Hunting, who I worked for for a number of years. Um, and uh, things just took off and it was like I had two jobs so I had to make a decision and of course I decided to be 
a beer writer. Um, and that's been great. I've picked up a couple of awards from the, the guilds in, uh, in the UK and in North America. Um, and I launched my own uh, publication with my good friend and brewer, Jonathan Hamilton, uh, called Pellicle. Uh, which we launched a year ago on the 1st of May. Um, so, uh, and uh, now we're in this weird lockdown. We, we're quite enjoying creating these articles that are very much escapism. We don't want to write about what's happening now. We want to keep people focused on the great food and, and beer and, and cider and wine that we love and keep people, you know, remind them that there's some good stuff out there still. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the Pellicle, that is a very niche reference um mm. can you explain <laughs> what why did you call it that it is a beautiful word and it seems to make a lot of sense i can't take credit for coming up with the name johnny came up with with pellicle he he um previously was working at beavertown brewery um and uh, he was the head of their barrel aging program um he's a he's a fantastic brewer he's got a master's in brewing from harriet watt but uh, he's also just a, a gourmand. He just loves food and drink. He goes to all the latest restaurants. He knows so much about wine and fermentation. And um, so a pellicle is um, it's uh, it's sometimes called floor f l o r or or the French call it the veil. Um, it's it's a membrane that forms on the top of um, wild fermentation so something like a Britannomyces yeast fermentation and uh, it creates a, a seal between the air and, and the liquid below while uh, mixed fermentation uh, a sour beer essentially is is made but also it appears on things like like sherry and, and Van Jorn in um, in the Jura region of France um, and cider uh, lots of different things really and Johnny's idea was you have to have something disgusting because it's, it's, it's like they're pretty gunky uh, to make something beautiful. Um, and I don't, I don't know why, why that was what he referred it to um, specifically. But he, was, he wanted to make a zine uh, like what, that he would make himself uh, called Pellicle. And then um, when he suggested the idea to me, I basically went home and... Uh, bought the url and said <laughs> and i wrote a business plan and um and uh, we we turned it you know we decided to turn it into a proper publication the plan was also to do a print magazine as well as the website and podcast which is still the plan but because um we're trying to keep our finances secure because we pay all our contributors and um uh, we want to keep doing that um we we've put the print magazine on hold uh, until we are in a more financially secure uh, position because our backers our sponsors are all in the beer and hospitality world and cider world as well um so because things are uncertain for them we don't want to take any big jumps or risks and hopefully in a few months time when things get to a whatever normal will be in a few months time uh, and there's people are a bit more confident um we, we can start to look at that that print side of things again take us back to that time of writing a blog there was a lot of people doing it at a time. What do you think, mm. it, what made you stand out? What what were the um, parts of the blog or the way that you wrote that you think caught a light and actually got attention? I think um, for the first 12 months, I was just doing, you know, the odd beer review. I went to this pub. I went on this pub crawl. It, 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 I, um, but then sometime in, at some point in 2013, when I've been blogging for a little while, I decided to stick the oar in. So I think it's because I was insolent. Um, <laughs> I, 
and if I read back to those posts, I'm like, I was I was definitely wrong about um, uh, a lot of things, but I te- had a tendency to 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 build a hill and then die on it <laughs> regularly, <laughs> and I, I I got quite opinionated about uh, things happening in the industry and beer was going through this really transitional phase in the UK at the time from its traditional cask scene to this modern craft beer and being part of that modern craft beer movement I felt that like it, it almost felt like a bit of a battle it wasn't in hindsight it, the two uh, um, are, are the same industry that's that's what the conclusion was there are differences but um, yeah I tended to stick the oar in and that that got me and not just through the blog, but on Twitter, I would I would start a lot of debates and be a little bit controversial. And that definitely got me um, some attention. But later on, when I started writing professionally, I also, um, and I was still doing the blog at the time, I got to work with some really good editors. And um, I have no professional journalism training. I've written a lot uh, uh, since, since I was young, but um, working with editors... That, you know, who would literally send you your your you'd give them your two thousand words and saying this is it, this is my magnum opus, this is the best thing I've ever written, and they'd send it back saying no, this is trash, rewrite this. <laughs> what are you trying to say here? So that really opened my eyes to 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 good writing and and um, and uh, and editing. Um, and the other thing was my photography. So um, I I was frustrated with the quality of images and I always thought why aren't photos treated in the same way as writing so I um I taught myself photography um uh, a few years ago and now I do a bit of freelance photography for breweries and bars or I did um I'm not doing that at the moment and uh, t- t- the visual side of things is as important to me as the the written word everything is editorial uh, I, I never use stock images um uh, at pellicle if we can't get photos we we commission an illustrator it's all about having something that is visually as poignant as the words on the page for us and when i was blogging that was important to me and i think that's what kind of helped me uh, get a foot into the door and and uh, turn it into a career yeah and the pellicle the website looks beautiful i think i messaged when i messaged you on twitter i said it it made me feel very happy and inadequate because it it just is really lovely to look at and it's almost like you want to reach in and it it feels tactile and um it's got a real nice sense about it is that kind of how do you think that's a fair reflection of the the beer industry in the uk at the moment do you think that it is um can you kind of describe what is going on in the in the beer scene and, and what's been happening in the last couple of years in the UK? Yeah, um, so thank you. I'm really glad you like the website. I must give a shout out to um, the illustrator and designer that did the logo, Tita Bradshaw. So the pellicle logo is actually based on yeast. The blobs are Saccharomyces and the letters are based on Britannomyces, which makes a pellicle. It's, it's quite a subtle reference, but we, we, we're very fond of it. And um, the whole point of the website was it's meant to be the least amount of clicks to take you from article to article. It's all about um, if you can go and spend 10 minutes, read one article or an hour, read three or four. That's the point of it. So I'm really glad you like it. Uh, so the UK scene, um, God, it, it's it, I mean, we're. we're there's a lot of stuff going on on a tiny island. Um, and I'm lucky to have spent a lot of time traveling over the last decade through work. And I, I spend, so my, my dad lives in America. We're, we're both from Lincolnshire in the UK. I've lived in London for 15 years. He moved to Colorado, where I should be right now, um, uh, 10 years ago. And through him living in Colorado, I've traveled through about 11 states now. 
So all the classics, California and, and uh, Oregon and uh, Chicago was incredible, but I've been to Nashville and uh, been to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, been all over. And that, that, the American beer industry is the largest in the world. Uh, I've been going to the Craft Brewers Conference out there for the last few years and just, just getting my head around the scale, and, and that gave me a lot of perspective. But I've also traveled a lot around Europe, Belgium, Germany, the Czech Republic. Um, and my partner, Diane, is from New Zealand. She's Kiwi. Um, and I've been to New Zealand several times. And, and I was always blown away with uh, the, the craft beer scene there and the, the breweries like Fork and Brewer, Garage Project, um, uh, Liberty Brewing, uh, all that some really progressive breweries making delicious beer. So having all that perspective really helped me look at the UK there was a time where I really wanted um, the UK to look a lot more like the US, the tap rooms, the hoppy IPAs, and now it kind of does. I've started drinking bitter. <laughs> I've got, I've, and and this will come through when 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 we uh, go through my beer selections. This will make a bit more more sense, maybe. But um, uh, what the last ten years have seen the beer change dramatically, where all this US influence came in and. We went from about 800 brewers 10 years ago to nearly 2,500 brewers now. And most of the new ones want to make juicy, hazy, American, hoppy IPAs, which is which you see all over the world. Um, but um, what, I, what we've realized is that the real ale culture we have, the best of the, the cream of that, is that's our Munich Pilsner. That's our, our, our Czech our Czech pills, that's our West Coast IPA. It's such a, a treasure trove of, of fantastic beer. And I think the scenes are kind of merging as the um, the young craft brewers are kind of becoming less brash. It's a bit like me as a blogger, like calming down a bit and going, having a bit more perspective and going, actually, this bitter is as good as any hazy IPA. They they, they, they provide a different context. Um, and uh that, so that's where it is for me personally. It's a tough time because um, it's a it's it's a very competitive market. We've seen a lot of consolidation. Uh, Lion have bought into the UK in a big way. Um, uh, in in uh, Magic Rock when they went in Huddersfield, that upset a lot of people because they're a tiny brewery. Uh, Four Pure in London was the other brewery they picked up, and they've got a Little Creatures brewery um, uh, in in London, a brew pub, um, and uh, we've got. Uh, you know, InBev, Kors, Carlsberg, Heineken. When Heineken took a fifty percent stake or forty nine point five percent stake uh, in Beavertown, that that really um, uh, shook British craft beer because Beavertown was seen as like the top, the coolest craft brewery. Everyone loved them. Everyone wanted to collaborate with them. Um, they had all these hype breweries coming to do this festival, like your other halves and your Jester Kings, and they all pulled out of that festival, which I was at hosting panel talks so it was very weird atmosphere there so that that moment was a real that will that'll be we'll look back in 10 years and go the moment when when um beavertown sold that stake that changed a lot of perspectives and attitudes and and people realized that well this is a business this isn't just some fun but there is still so much amazing things happening in terms of like beer and community i was at cloudwater's friends and family and beer festival in february and it, looking back now, it feels like a million years ago, but it, it was such a sensational festival. I, it was such a joyous event. The beer was great. The vibes were very mellow and calm. And, and um, it was, 
a real example of where we've come because the it wasn't just IPA. There was so much saison and lager, and they had some uh, of the local, more traditional breweries like J.W. Lee's there, uh, like Marble. I wouldn't call Marble traditional, and that one of my beers, spoiler alert, is is a Marble beer. Um, but uh, it, it was a real coming together of the industry and a, a great. Um, sum total of where we've come to so I think we're in a good place uh, I think uh, the next few months uh, through the uh, the pandemic we'll see a lot of closures um, in hospitality and, and brewing in general um, which is a shame but um, uh, it's, it is a, I mean the toughest uh, thing right now is the pubs the, the pubs have no support I mean breweries can still sell cans online and and some of them started selling bag in a box beer, so you can like almost have cast beer at home. But the pubs have nothing. Some pub companies are still charging rent to their tenants. It's pretty disgusting. So uh, that there's unless the government intervenes, which I don't think they will, um, there's going to be some uh, a lot less pubs uh, reopen when this is over. And the inbuilt fault line in UK beer, real ale camera. Mm versus mm. modern keg um how is that playing out because i know camera very much like it, it when you described the the walking away when beaver town sold out it this mm. it's it feels like it's very tribal like these things and camera is very tribal it seems like craft beer in the uk is very tribal in australia it kind of seems like everyone's still friends because it's so young <laughs> and mm. i really want to savor this moment in australian uh craft beer journey uh that everybody's on the surface anyway everybody's still friends it seems like the uk has in- inbuilt fault lines how is that playing out as is cask um going to survive is cask being overridden changed or is it going to die or what's what's going to happen I think the important thing to know about camera is that they were very successful. Um, and um, Tom Stainer, uh, their chief executive, is doing a really great job. I'm, uh, I'm actually considering joining. Well, I'm not considering. I'm going to join camera um, because I've always been very critical of it. Um, but um, the, uh, what I've learned is the only way to really uh, make sure these organizations are irrelevant is to be involved and be, be an activist. And camera has had some great activists and has some great activists. And yes, you're right about it being tribal. When craft beer emerged, the tribes, definitely people, you know, put their foot in either camp. But what I've seen in the last sort of 18, 24 months is that, that those, um, uh, those tribes are be- they're mingling and they're starting to understand one another we're getting all this perspective so um if you go to a camera beer festival now that you know the manchester beer insider festival which was in january uh, was incredibly progressive it, it had loads of keg beer uh, from all over the world in- including the-, the uk um it-, it was it was a great event um so camera Camera is a huge organization, which means it's it's slow to move. And in the last 10 years, it has been slow to react to certain things, especially things like uh, sexism um, and like having sexist T-shirts on sale at its events and stuff. That's really little mistakes like that have, have, have held it back for so long. But um, I think the leadership's there right now. The biggest problem Camera has is it's... Um, it's not centrally governed. It's all these branches. And some of the branches are so progressive and are full of great people working really hard to promote cast beer. Uh, and some of them are, are, are reductive and have opinions which, which drag it back. And um, uh, the head office only has limited control over these different branches. And But 
people outside of camera only see it as a whole. So if one branch does something terrible, it reflects badly on the whole organization, um, which is something I, I think they really, I mean, they're basically like the beer equivalent of the Labour Party in the UK <laughs> in, in, that, in many ways. Yeah, that's definitely it, a different podcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, um, but um, uh, what the important thing is to remember that camera have been very successful. And if you go to pubs, cast beer is everywhere. Unfortunately, the general quality of cast beer um, is poor. There's this reputation, uh, which I've heard talked about on your podcast, that cast, you know, it's the warm, flat English beer. And that's when you go to a touristy pub in central London, you straight off he- out of Heathrow Airport, you're going to find a touristy pub with- that doesn't look after its real ale. You- in London, you really have to know where to go to get a good pint. And there are some amazing pubs in London uh, serving great cast beer. But if you go north to Manchester or to Sheffield or to Derby, anywhere like that, the quality, the consistency is much higher uh, because they, 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 there isn't this sort of infrastructure like London where there's so many uh, pubs and visitors. Uh, so I, cast beer, I think, will decline a little bit. It, is, it has been declining for the last two years. And I, you know, I'm going to go out on the limb and say that's a good thing. You can have too much of a good thing. And cask is something that is special. And, and when I say it is our equivalent of a Munich Hellers or a Czech Pilsner or a, a Californian IPA, I, I mean it. That It's something that's so integral to our culture as, as uh, British beer drinkers. And, you know, having spent time with Americans who come to the UK and I'm like, oh, I want to take you to this new brewery. Their IPA is amazing. And they're like, well, I didn't fly all the way from America to, tr- to drink IPA. I want to go for some bitter. And it took me two or three years to realize what bitter meant to to visitors and and now when i have um uh, americans uh visit the uk the first thing we do is go to the harp in covent garden one of the the the, the rare example of a pub doing exceptional cask beer in central london and we drink harvey sussex best which is one of the best cask beers uh in in the country and it and it's really reflective of of um you know, it's it's exactly the same as going to Munich and drinking Augustina in a beer garden. It's 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 really uh, pivotal to to beer culture in the UK, and I think that's what. Coming back to your earlier point about these tribal things, so many people in craft beer are realizing that now, including myself, and that is helping uh, these these two opposing sides become one, uh, and that's really nice to see. Like you've talked a lot around the culture of of what a cask beer is. And what a pint of best is, but mm. how how do you actually sell what it is? You know, we, we we're so evocative and and uh, lyrical about a, a hazy IPA, and often if you mm. pick up a can, you you know you can read all these wonderful adjectives. But what is it about? Because cask beer generally is fairly modest. But what is it that that floats your boat about a pint of best? So that's a great question. So good cask beer served well should be. Uh, nice and cool it, it, it's um, about 11 degrees celsius which would means you'll get a bit of condensation on the glass it's cool to the touch it's conditioned the condition is so important it has to be fresh of course it should be drank within 24 hours of the cask being tapped and before that it would have spent uh, a couple of days conditioning in the cellar getting nice lots of fine bubbles of co2 so that when you pour it uh, you get a lovely head which gives you all that aroma and what the great thing about let's talk about bitter specifically, it's about balance. Like all great beers, like like West Coast IPA or or, or great 
Munich Hellers. It's about the interplay of, of malt, British malt, British hops. Uh, so you get the sweetness from the malt, the spiciness from the hops, and it's all underpinned by this gentle carbonation and then this drying, bitter finish. that you So you gulp it. You know That's why it's served in pints and it's a low ABV. You take one, two, three sips, you've drank half of it. And um, to, to quote uh, a great brewer, now retired, John Keeling at Fuller's, um, it says, your best pint of London Pride, because uh, he was the head brewer at Fuller's making London Pride, um, the best pint of London Pride is the third one, because that's when you go, ah, yes, I'll, I'll have another... <laughs> Um, and I, I always enjoyed, I always enjoyed that. So that's, that's for me the, the, the beauty of, of, of British Cassis. It's about this balance and interplay of of molten hop. And, um, and I think that the bad reputation comes from it being, it's quite difficult to look after. And if it's too warm, the carbon dioxide, as soon as it hits about 14, 15 degrees, it goes flat and it's just not a very enjoyable thing when it's flat, but when it's in prime condition, it's a real joy. Um, and as more and more people realize this, uh, you know, people might be more demanding about the quality, uh, they get from their pubs and in turn the pubs will improve their quality. But to be fair, there are a lot of pubs working really hard when when they're open um, to do great cast beer. Um, and I, I I will say, and I was I fought against this opinion for ages, but the North generally does it better uh, in terms of cask. Um, I think there's a, there's a pride, uh, you know, as soon as you go north of Derby or north of there, there's a pride to the the serving of, of cask ale, um, and um, of course you got if you have Yorkshire and Lancashire that each one says they do it better than the other and that's a very healthy for the most part rivalry yeah well I certainly know there's uh, a pub in my hometown Liverpool uh, Roscoe Head which I think is one of only three pubs to have appeared in every edition of the Good Beer Guide mm. uh, for its serving of, of Caspia and it's it's not a high traffic area pub it's down a, a small side street off a not a very busy street so it shows you that if you build it they, they will come if you if mm. your quality is there then um but yeah so it's, seemingly so hard to do to get to get it right but yeah. um it's funny so, the last uh the last uh pub i was in before the lockdown was the ship and mitre in liverpool i was up in liverpool uh, before I got ill, and uh, at the at the CBA, the uh, Brewers Association here in the UK, their beer X conference, and the last pint I had before I went home the next day, or several pints, was in the Ship and Mitre, which is a a wonderful pub. Uh, yeah, again, a pub which is not in the most high traffic area of town as well. It's like by the flyover mm. and tucked yeah. away. <laughs> but yeah, great pub, um, great British pub, but. Um, I'm really interested now, Matthew, to uh, yep. get into these uh, beer choices. You, you've very much wetted my whistle, all that talk <laughs> about Cascale, and I'm like, it seems so yep. close, but so far away. <laughs> so what, what's your first choice? Well, it is a Cascale, and um, I'm going to go back to uh, my, the, an earlier part of my beer journey when I was about 20 years old. There's been a, a thing on, on Twitter, um, share a picture of yourself when you're uh, when you're 20, and I'm going to share a beer from where I was 20. I'm, I'm in my sort of mid to late 30s now. Um, but um, it was the first beer that made me sort of identify as a beer drinker, and it's a beer that's appeared on this show before, I'm sure, uh, Timothy Taylor's Landlord. 
um, which I had on cask. So I was at uni at the time and um, I'd gone back to visit my dad in, in the village I grew up in near Lincoln. And the local pub on a Monday night did its pop quiz, which we went. We decided to go and do the pop quiz and have some food. Um, and they had Landlord on, which was it didn't often have it. They usually had John Smith's on cask, which is not a very nice beer. Um, these days, it, it apparently used to be. Um, but uh, these days it is a shadow of its former self. But they had landlord on, and my dad got quite excited, as is his friend Nick. And um, we ordered three pints of landlord. And it, to come back to what John Keeling said, by the third, I'm like, there's something about this. This is, um, this is. Uh, I'm drinking this not just because it's getting me drunk, because you know I was twenty. That's beer, that's what beer was for. Um, I'm drinking this because it's really delicious. And then from end from from then on, I. Um, started identifying as a cask beer drinker because it was subversive i like to be a bit subversive and and i'd go out with with my mates and they'd all order you know carling or cronenberg and i'd go well, what's the local ale and um and i you know i i just appreciated trying something different i just wanted to have something that wasn't the norm um it wasn't for the, the i didn't want to join uh i didn't join camera at the time because uh it felt like a a discount club you 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 got your card and camera it did feel very stuffy this would have been about 2000 and uh about 2003 2004 and uh i didn't like I still don't like, I don't like them, especially now because uh, their owner, uh, well, I'll try not to use too many expletives, but the Weatherspoons pub chain, uh, camera's famous for giving, giving, please giving fire vouchers. away. Please. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, this is a safe space for uh, abusing um, uh, Tim Martin. <laughs> yes. It, Tim Martin is a terrible human being that has a lot to answer for uh, in terms of pushing propaganda on his own customers but i, I didn't re- i've never really liked his pubs i appreciate they they, they fill an important uh, gap in the market in a way for uh with with, with lower priced product but um i'm not a huge fan um but um so camera wasn't for me but cascale was and for the next few years um uh, i i identified as a a real ale drinker but landlord and if i think about it now and landlord is a beer i've come back to and it's become really popular uh, in part because they had a a blisteringly good sales team uh, and still do and they have managed to premiumize it um they've gradually pushed the price up it's probably one of the most expensive cask pints so in central london cask beer is expensive you pay about four pound fifty i think that'd be about nine dollars for a pint of cask ale um and uh landlord's usually about a pound more expensive in and 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 some people go well that's expensive but people still order it even if they complain about the price because it it, again it's a very well-made beer um uh it it is really balanced really drinkable really clean tasting it's like that lovely snap that mineral snap of yorkshire water in the finish um and uh, it's a very special beer and a lot of the the craft beer uh, community have really um come, like doubled down on their love for it as an example of of a fantastic beer um there's a, a pub in leeds called white locks uh, right in the city center and it's just the most amazing pub it's about 300 years old um and um when like it's just become 
so popular with the beer crowd there for for pints of landlord because they serve it so well and when american brewers come over to the beer festivals in leeds the first thing they want to do is go to white locks and drink landlord it's it's a very special uh special place to drink it um but uh somewhere i've never been is and i would like to go on a pilgrimage is to the unofficial tap room the bolt the bolt makers arms in keely in yorkshire where where timothy taylor's are based um is uh is somewhere I'd love to go to. And interestingly, Landlord is probably not my favourite uh, uh, Timothy Taylor's beer. Um, I think I prefer the Bolt Maker, uh, which is their sort of more ordinary bitter. I, I, I find it a bit more balanced than Landlord. But Landlord is the beer I've picked because it, it that was a pivotal beer in terms of making my decision at the bar. If I hadn't have had those pints that night, then I wouldn't have started going when I was out and about Um like oh, what what local ales uh are they on and i wouldn't have tried things like castle rock harvest ale and and um and uh think you know crouch vale brewers gold all these uh hot back summer lightning all of these uh beers that that uh would have been priming my palate for what what i was unaware of but w- what was to come and because the, the next beer i picked was is the one that had uh the biggest impact on me uh and and kind of changed my life well, we'll just hold fire on that because I just want to talk about the point you made about marketing mm. craft beer because I I still subscribe to Private Eye, which I get delivered from the UK, and that is a, a hotbed for advertising cask beer that I can't mm. buy. Um, so it's um, but what amazes me is that uh, you know there's been a, a little bit of trying to market and modernise cask beer in terms of the marketing, etc. But the amount of words that are used in a craft beer advert in Private Eye is extraordinary. I mean, it's, mm. sometimes they take a, a half a page, and it is—it's a article in itself. It's kind of like yeah. a mini. But what is that common in all print media in the UK, or what's what's happened around that? How craft beer has no. positioned itself. No, Private Eye is it is a in a very unique position. It actually does some of the most uh, in like deep investigative reporting into um the pub companies and their the malpractice that they're involved with. Like like no one else really digs into that. Uh to, much to the chagrin of the, the the people who rent these pubs who think beer writers should spend more time investigating it. But um uh, it, it's it's a really tough subject, but um, no, Private Eye is is probably not reflective of of most media. It's it's a law unto itself. I think it's brilliant. I once actually, when I worked in a guitar shop, I once actually physically ran into Ian Hislop, who I believe is still the editor. Like yeah. physically, <laughs> like I was I was running around the shop, and I and um, the guitar shop was in the basement of Virgin Megastore on Oxford Street, and I, I literally collided with him, and he looked at me and went, "This isn't the jazz section," and just stormed <laughs> off in a huff. <laughs> Part of me thinks that's what Ian Hislop would say in any situation yes. bumping into someone. <laughs> so he could, uh, he could be in a brothel and go, "This isn't the jazz section." <laughs> yes. So uh, actually, um, Timothy Taylor's did an ad campaign on the tube, and it was the opposite of that. It's uh, I think time for a Taylor's. It was a very simple slogan um, uh, and uh, with these lovely illustrations uh, and. Uh, yeah, it, so the, the the private eye adverts are uh, very unique and targeted at at its audience for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Theakstons as well. I think it was who were advertising there as well. But um, choice two, 
You've mm. built this up now. <laughs> a lot a lot of people listening who know me will probably have already guessed what this beer is going to be. So in 2009, uh, I was in Hyde Park with my dad and we were watching Bruce Springsteen and it was a very nice moment. And he turned to me and said, I've got a bit of news. I've been offered a new job. I'm like, oh, that's 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 great. And he's like, yes, it's in America. <laughs> and me and my younger sister were adults. And like for the first second, I'm like, wait, you're moving to another country? And then I was like, hang on, this means I can come and visit you all the time. Um, so that was, it was a big moment when my dad decided, decided to, to uh, emigrate. And um, uh, a year later, so his company uh, said he, that they'd fly me and my sister out uh, for the first two weeks to help him acclimatize and see where he's going to live. And uh, we flew to Denver from, direct from Heathrow and drove up to this town I'd never heard of before called Fort Collins. Uh, which is now a, a real home from home for me. And I, I should, I'll stress again, I should be there right now. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm not, I'm locked down here in London. Um, so on the, we got there very late and we got to our hotel. And then the next morning we woke up and walked around a bit, walked off the jet lag, had some lunch. And then uh, my dad said, what would you like to do? And I'm like, I don't really know what to do. Um, he said, well, there's there's a few microbreweries. That was the word he used, microbreweries in town. Uh, shall we go and visit one? I'm like, that's that's great. I love my my, my ale. And uh, he'd been to the town a couple of times before to, to recce it. And so he, he kind of knew what I was, what, what, where we were heading. And we went to a brewery called Odell. Um, and Odell Brewing is one of the, the largest uh, craft breweries in the United States. It was much smaller. They've expanded a lot since I visited in 2010. Uh, but the tap room is it's a bit bigger, but largely the same. But I walked into this, this brewery, and it's not what I expected. It was this busy, thriving bar and beer garden. Uh, and full. Of, you know, it was like a pub full of the buzz and conversation. But it was this tap room, and we, we, we didn't have these tap rooms in the UK yet. And I got a tasting flight and I worked my way through them. And, and I remember the first sip of the third beer on the flight because the first two were a Scotch ale and a pale ale. And the third one was Odell IPA. And I'd never tasted anything like it. What I'd had before that said IPA on was was Green King IPA, which is not a beer I enjoy greatly. Uh, you know, Green King IPA is 3.6%. It tastes like weak tea. Um, <laughs> that's to me. And... Um, this this was vibrant it was it was this malt and hop uh, explosion of grapefruit flavors and it was so bitter like the first few sips were shocking it's like this is i've never had anything like this do i like it i wasn't sure but um the combination of that beer um and the culture of the tap room and and uh and how that felt it changed something in me um and I couldn't stop thinking about it. When so two weeks later, I'd go home and I'd try lots of other beers like uh, New Belgium Fat Tire and Oscar Blues Dale's Pale Ale and and uh, you know obviously I'd been in America for two weeks so I was now an expert. I knew everything <laughs> about American beer and but all I would go out with my mates and all I would want to do is talk about beer. Is that that was it? You know, I was before I was music and guitars and now I was like, oh, you know, if you tried this, it's called Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's so good. And, uh, it, you know, things like that. And um, uh, I became obsessive. And Diane, uh, my partner, said, you, you should try and find a way of venting this enthusiasm. Um, you, you know, have you considered starting a, a beer blog? And that was kind of it. And that's why Odell IPA, because it was this catalyst for, for, for me not stopping. Ever since I, that taste of beer, I haven't really 
stop thinking about beer um and uh, and i managed to to work that energy into something creative which is now why i've uh, uh made a career out of beer writing so it's 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 a you know it's a really fantastic beer and i haven't really taught you know it 10 years later it's still my favorite beer genuinely um and it's if it's kind of like an amped up british beer in a way because it's about balance the flavors are a lot bigger it's 7% or 7.5% and um it's it's really malty it's like like kind of sweet right at the start um but that's it replaced very quickly with very fruity hop notes grapefruit tangerine navel orange it's all citrus um and then it's this just resinously bitter finish um and it's just it's ruinous uh, you know it's it's a beer i can drink like it's 4% it it's just uh, that the the west coast ipa or technically the mountain ipa because colorado ipas aren't exactly the same as west coast ipas that's that's my favorite style of beer partly because of the nostalgia but i just genuinely love drinking uh, big hoppy bitter beers that is the nicest holiday romance story i've ever heard <laughs> it's like I've... you could re- you could replace odell's ipa with janine or someone <laughs> tell the same story yeah and it's, all, and it's, it's you know what i've to- I've told that story so many times and I, I never get bored of saying it. It's, it was a it was a real moment, and it's ironic that like my dad changing career and moving uh, to America was the the thing that actually changed my career as well. So it's uh, it's it's a it's a huge deal. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's go on to choice three. Well, choice three. I'm going to change things up a bit. Um, so, what came out of me going into sort of IPA overdrive is I became this sort of early stage beer geek where I just wanted hoppier and more bitter. And it's the equivalent of people chasing juicy beers now. I just wanted the most resinously bitter IPAs I could find. I got really into to black IPAs um, and, and white IPAs were a thing for a bit where it was like a wheat beer IPA hybrid. Um, and, and, that's, and I was seeking out um, British brewers making beers like this. And I'll come to one of those shortly but i decided that lager was trash it was like only only fools drank lager and i was at an event for beer bloggers in about 2013 i was in dublin and it was sponsored by pilsner Urquell. and uh, they they bring out their ambassador vaslav berker who is this typically sort of uh elderly czech gentleman he's portly you know, he he eats a lot of meat and drinks a lot of beer and he's he's charming and he brings these two wooden barrels of completely unfiltered Pilsner Equel and I was just hanging around for the event and we're handed these these mug these Pilsner mugs and he taps it and it sprays everywhere and then he pours this mug of Pilsner, half beer, half foam. And he talks about the Sard's hop and how the foam helps the bitterness and aroma come through and I'm like, Oh, I'm not really a an IPA guy, I'm a uh, I'm not really a lager guy. I, I like my IPAs, but I drank this beer, and oh my god, it was like an instantaneous, uh, like the 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 it's that that balance of malt and hop. Um, I didn't really understand what makes Czech lagers so special to me then, um, uh, but it, at the time it was just really bitter. Pilsner Equel is is forty IBU. It's it's a very bitter lager. Sarts is a very bitter hop. Um, 
And a few years later, I would actually get to visit Pilsner Urquell. And by then, it was two, so three years later, by then I was like really getting into my lagers. And now uh, I am a, a lager fanatic. Like I love um, noble hopped classic lagers. My favorite style has to be the sort of Franconian Bamberg Pilsners like uh, Marsbroy or, or Kiesman. Um, but I also love Czech Pilsner as well. Um, uh, Czech Pilsner is different in that it's very malty. It has this sort of uh, sticky, sugary uh, malt profile from decoction mashing. And then uh, the, the hops are so bitter and spicy. Um, but where, I've been to the Czech Republic a few times and the way they serve it with with um, all the foam from these side pour handles, it just makes that beer. It's like Cascale here, the smaller bubbles. It's just amazing. But that Pilsner Aquel was the lager that made me realize that I loved lager again because I used to drink loads of lager uh, bef- before I became a real beer nerd. And I, I did decide that lager was, was was not great. And it was drinking this beer that made me realize that I was I was wrong. It was part of my, I think that a lot of beer enthusiasts or beer geeks, uh, for want of a better word, go through this. When they first get into beer, they just chase as much of that first thing they can and then you need these one or two little perspective altering moments like drinking Taris Bulba was another one because I, you know, Taris Bulba, this is um, not on my list, but it's a great example of a beer that is, has the appeal of, of a, of a, a hoppy bitter beer, but it, but the drinkability of a lager. And and every time I drank a beer like that, like Augustina Hell or, uh, or, or Taris Bulba, it made me realize about subtlety and balance and, and the, the spice of noble hops. But it all comes back to, to Pilsner Aquel. It's probably not the best uh, Czech Pilsner out there, but it, it was the one that made me um, realize how much I love lager. And then when I visited the brewery, it's a pretty amazing tour um, to go to the cellars underneath and drink the, the unfiltered beer. Um, it's one of the best brewery tours you can do. Um, really easy to get to to Pilsen from Prague as well, um, and uh, and the food, the ch- Czech food is ridiculous. Lots of just just meat and dumplings. It's it's an intense experience. <laughs> well, that, you've described another tribe there about lager. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, in the UK an advertising campaign by uh, Hobgoblin. I think who used to make uh, oh, what's the matter, lager boy? Yeah. <laughs> was it what's the matter lager boy afraid of tasting something it was something yes, like that wasn't yeah, it? yeah afraid you might taste something yeah <laughs> and so that is a tribe in itself um and a tribe that i think a lot of um beer geeks are not climbing out of uh yes you know, so mm, for mm. a lot of people the the kind of the bad taste of bad lager or mass-produced lager um still is there in their mouth and they they won't um jump over to craft lager yet yeah definitely but also you know in the uk carlsberg have completely reformulated their recipe i say reformulated i think they moved to what they actually make in in denmark as as opposed to to what they were making for the british market um and i there's a lot of love for for i mean go to america and they love the iconic mass-produced brands like Miller High Life and and Calls Banquet and there is a there is a there is a there's a moment for beers like that and I've definitely become less snobby I, I was a huge beer snob I'm still definitely I'm a beer writer so I'm definitely a beer snob but um I was so snobby about 
lager and, and, and beer of all forms. And getting into lager really helped me like address my own uh, uh, snobbishness, which was a really important step uh, in my beer journey. Well, so this is I'm going to indulge myself here just uh, for a moment and just ask about uh, Carling, which was formerly Carling Black Label. Um, were they embroiled in some sort of tax scandal with um, the ABV uh, or was that? Yes. So <laughs> that you can legally you can um, uh, your ABV can be like 0.5 percent either way from what's printed on the can um don't quote me on that but because uh, i haven't got the notes to hand but yeah you you can have a slight discrepancy um but uh they were deliberately producing lower alcohol beer than advertised because it cost less to do and uh they got caught um and fined um carling i used to be a big carling drinker at uni because uh, um it was the second cheapest beer and I didn't want to. I'm, I'm always. I'm that guy that orders the the this or used to be the second cheapest uh, wine on the wine list because like oh yeah I know what I'm doing. I'm ordering the the second cheapest. And the cheapest back then was Heineken because Heineken was a, a weak a different recipe then. It was weaker than it was um, now. And the posh when we wanted to treat ourselves, we'd drink Cronenberg. Um, but I used to drink a lot of Carling. But now it's a beer I struggle with. It's it, that that is a beer I would say is terrible. It's 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 rushed. It's mass produced. There are some really good mass produced lagers in the UK. Tenants is the best uh, brewed in Scotland. That is that is actually a nice, refreshing drink that I enjoy. But uh, like Carling, you'll generally find it served at about one degree because as soon as it warms up even a little bit, <laughs> there's like all these weird yeast esters and flavors that shouldn't be there. And uh, it's 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 not good. Yeah, and and probably uh, famous for an amazing advertising campaign in the in the eighties, and um, probably not stood the test of time in terms of no. uh, decency and modern standards of political correctness. But indeed, very successful at the time. Um, what what I love about Carling is is that it's advertised as like this most it's brewed in Burton upon Trent. And it with British ingredients, and it's this quintessentially British beer. It's actually Canadian. It, it originated in Canada. It was an imported beer. Um, it's not British at all. It, it's it's just one of the great lies of, of mass-produced beer. It's almost like the things we treasure most as Brits have actually been imported, but we won't go into that. Um... <laughs> it's another podcast. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, what is the perception of... Um, Australian beer in the UK obviously over the last um few decades uh Fosters have uh, have mm. had the uh that you know they have been uh, they even had an ad campaign it's Australian for beer and um they also had the campaign about you wouldn't want a warm beer which was the mm. play on it's um facing off against cask beer and now I believe that in the UK, when you buy a can of Fosters, it has Melbourne uh, written on the can um, and evokes the story of um, you know the Fosters brothers uh, in Melbourne. Um, you know, I think there's even an ad where they're like kind of going down this Wild West street and um, yeah. all this type of thing. So, what is the perception of? Because obviously you've got little creatures uh, made the move over and have got the tap room in London, um, despite being taken off because of it they got mm. taken over uh stone and wood have a presence coopers have a presence as well um what is the kind of perception is it is it on the radar at all yeah definitely um 
So Foster's an interesting one because uh, that's a Heineken brand, and it's it says Melbourne on the can, but it's brewed in in uh, in Manchester um, at the, the Heineken brewery that also makes Cronenberg in the UK. Um, so uh, Foster's uh, it's not a beer I see talked about. There's not a lot of love for it. It's it's a cheap supermarket beer, um, but. Um, Australian beer is interesting. Little creatures have been here for a while now, and uh, they've always been. When when craft beer was emerging, you could get little creatures pale ale pretty easily, and it was fondly thought of. Um, but now that it's interesting because I know a little bit about their plans, and they're definitely brewing at four pure and, and scaling up to full size batches. Um, and that you know, Lion has got this. You know, we've seen them by New Belgium in the US and they've got definitely got this uh, this plan to 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 grow uh, their craft beer market globally. Uh, but little creatures is generally very well regarded as is Aussie craft. There was a there was a time where 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 um, pirate life would like would here every 3 months with the brewers doing a tour and the the beers were fantastic and they like came over and then literally sold like several months after doing that. It was a very very quick but those that they're, they're uh, the brewers there, they were at Brewdog, so they knew the UK market. We see a lot of imports from Australia and New Zealand because I, it, because we just have the bigger market. That's always been a popular thing. Um, and uh, so one beer that does really well is Pacific Ale, Stone and Wood. I love it. Um, we, I've discussed this at length with some of my, my beer mates about how the pacific ale is is its own style that that galaxy hopped aussie pale ale it's it there uh, there isn't anything quite like it especially because um we haven't seen any galaxy beers for the last year because of what happened with the hailstorm and i actually wrote an article about um the that hailstorm and what happened to galaxy because people kept asking what happened to galaxy and so i decided to research it and i spoke to to bath haas and and uh learned how terrible that 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 hailstorm was uh but now we're starting to see galaxy beers again because the latest crop has just arrived in the uk but but um pacific ale is just this great example of it it's a perfect summer beer on a hot day you either drink lager or you drink pacific ale it's it's become in in the good craft beer bars a lot of them will have it on like a permanent tap in the summer because it's it's really popular um so yeah there's a lot of awareness of aussie craft you don't see a lot of Aussie craft brands, uh, especially the smaller ones, just because it takes eight weeks to ship the beer. It, it, you know, Stone and Wood. I think they've got, they've started contract brewing at Thornbridge now, um, and uh, who, if they have, they've done a great job because it, it's still a really enjoyable, tasty beer. Um, but um, it's yeah, the, the, that's the main problem is just bringing fresh hoppy beers over. Um, uh, I tell you what, though, there's one uh, Aussie brewery who I've, I've got to in Sydney called Wildflower. I've been very lucky to try some of their beers, and I've met I met Topher um, in Denver at the Shelton Brothers Festival in 2018, uh, and that's some outstanding stuff. Like that's a like that's a very special brewery. So um, and like that's the kind of beer that if if we saw that do a pop up in the UK, all the all the beer geeks would you know that they have a reputation just based on hearsay, like this guy makes amazing mixed fermentation beers you've got to try it um so it's yeah. pretty crazy the process i've talked uh talked to him um about coming on the podcast he told me that all his six beers would be one style pilsner yeah 
I was like, you can't do that, Topher. You can't do that to the audience. They want (laughs) wild, crazy beers. He's like, nah, just be all pilsners. Brilliant. That's that's typical. Like that's a typical uh, brewer. They 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 just drink pilsner and natural wine now. That, that, that's 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 the brewer. That's the brewer's diet. Well, this is a lot of fun, isn't it? Matthew Curtis from the Pellicle. Just enjoying this chat immensely. Uh, I just thought I'd jump in just to tell you about the Beer Together campaign, uh, which is running on YouTube and as a live stream. It's all the people from the beer world who are coming together to keep everybody connected in this uh, difficult time. There's a lot of different types of shows and lots of different types of um, approaches, such as beer tastings with Carwin Sellers and the Quarantinis. But also I've created a show for a bit of levity uh, with brilliant comedian Nick Kappa. Uh, It's called Have a Beer, Guess the Year. And essentially uh, one of us will give the other one clues and they have to guess what year all that all of those things happen in it's only half an hour and if you live stream it you can join in with the chat and all the rest half eight melbourne time on a thursday night it's great fun and we'd love to hear your feedback about it as well and how we can make it even better Um, but the important thing is that we can gather around have a beer have a good time and feel connected let's get back to matthew curtis and we'll jump in straight away with this fourth beer. Choice four. Choice four. Okay, so I'm going to go. So I'm going to pick a British beer now. And in fact, the next three are all British beers. Um, but um, this beer is Dobber by Marble Brewery up in Manchester. So when I. My first encounter with Dobber was when I came back from the US. I, I went online and I googled American style IPAs to, from online beer shops. I, I needed to drink more of them, and I was really curious to see if British breweries were trying to make them. Of course, which they were, and I ordered a mixed selection case. And the three, um, the first three I remember having that stuck in my mind was Brewdog Punk IPA, which back in uh, 2010 was very different beer. It was. Uh, it's not a beer I really enjoy much these days uh, for various reasons, which I won't go into now. Uh, but it fills a gap in the market and it's very popular. Um, I drank a beer called Thornbridge Jaipur, which I still really enjoy. That's a beer I love on cask. But the third beer from the selection was a, 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 an IPA called Dobber from Marble. And for those who don't play marbles, a Dobber is the biggest marble in your collection, apparently. Uh, that's how it's been explained to me. I don't play marbles, uh, but Marble are a fantastic brewery um, that, that started in a pub called the Marble Arch on Rochdale Road, uh, just north of Manchester city centre. Um, and uh, Dobber was this just fantastic beer that combined American hops with with New Zealand hops. And New Zealand hops, all three of those beers, Punk, Jaipur, and uh, and Dobber, used New Zealand hops when Nelson Sovin was like gold dust. Uh, and it combined it with 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 Citra and Simcoe and Amarillo, and it was just a, just a fruit cocktail of of a beer with that lovely bitter finish. And I I uh, fell in love with it. And eventually, uh, a couple of years after trying it for the first time, I'd go to Manchester and I'd visit the Marble Arch and I'd drink it on cask. Uh, it's a six percent beer, and cask beer makes things easy to drink. And after I think three three or four pints of it, I'm like, whoa, I should probably have stuck to halves, but I'll have another pint anyway. It's that it's that kind of beer, and it became a beer symbolic of getting off the train, walking up to the Marble Arch, and, and that was like, I was in Manchester. Um, 
And that's become significant in a couple of ways because uh, a few years later they discontinued the beer. It wasn't selling as well as some of their other beers. And uh, a good friend of mine, uh, a lady called Stephanie Shuttleworth, was their marketing manager at the time and ran their Twitter account. And I knew this. And me being insolent, as I talked about earlier on this podcast, um, I started baiting her uh, and constantly asking, when are you going to bring back Dobber? When are you going to bring back Dobber? And it became a bit of a thing. Whenever they'd say, what are you drinking this weekend? I'd be like, well, it's not Dobber because you don't make it anymore. <laughs> and, I, and I would keep winding them up. And eventually, uh, Jan... Uh, the owner of the brewery said, why don't you just come up and make some with us then? Because it was going to be their 20th anniversary. Um, and this would have been about three years ago now, I think. Uh, so I went um, with my good friend, Tom Harrison, who works for a brewery here in the UK called Mondo. We went up to Manchester because he asked if he could come and help um, to make Dobber uh, with their with their then brewer, James Kemp, um, um and uh it's what i remember is he said we had to be there at 7 30 in the morning and we got trashed <laughs> the night before because <laughs> we were in manchester and we were very excited to be in manchester and uh I, we, I think we were about an hour late um and i'm very hungover and we made we made dobber and it was you know i remember opening up the hops and uh and you know it was going through that experience of, of this beer seeing the sum of its parts um broken down and putting it together and uh, it was poured at their anniversary um and they, they put it in cans and they put on on the can brewed to jk and matt specifications and it was it's a huge moment for me and they've stopped making it uh at the moment but uh, i've got a plan for them to bring it back again uh so it, i managed to get this beer i love brought back um and um, last year, Diane and I decided we were going to move to Manchester, uh, which we can't at the moment. We're still in London, um, and the part of the lockdown is they've told you not to move house. Um, uh, but job hunting, Diane works in hospitality, so job hunting would be very difficult considering hospitality is closed. Um, but our plan is still to move to Manchester when this is all over. We've lived in London for 15 years, and it's it's, it's got to the point where it's a very busy, expensive city, and we want a bit more... Uh, quality of life and we want to slow down a bit but we still want uh, to live in a really cool city so Manchester feel, felt like the the obvious step for us and so um, it now poses me a problem because the Marble Arch is is just such a wonderful pub my favorite pub in Manchester and it's a treat to visit and when I move there it will be a local so I don't know what that means for my my health I'll be able to go to this wondrous pub whenever I like pretty much Um and hopefully, uh, if if they let me, if if, if you're listening, Jan and Joe at Marble, um, let's make some dobber to 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 drink lots of when we finally move to Manchester. That would be that'd be a great party beer. It's, it's definitely a, a sort of a one pint party starter. You could call it that at six uh, percent. But um, uh, yeah, it's it that. But I think the importance of that beer is not just uh, what I've said. It's also it proved to me that it wasn't just Americans making these big hoppy IPAs. And Marbles um, does really great traditional cask beers. It's, it's Pint is one of its beers, and Manchester Bitter are amazing, low ABV on cask. But they're, they're IPAs, they're Imperial Stouts, they're barrel beers, they're Brett beers. They, they're a really progressive brewery, um, even though they're not always thought of in that way. And Dobber demonstrated to me that British breweries can do hops, and bitterness just as well as the Americans can. And I think Marble are probably making better beers than they ever have. 
uh, now. Uh, they, um, they recently did, did an IPA called Sky High, and it was sensational. And it poses a big problem for Marble if you move to Manchester because they can block you on Twitter, but you physically being there becomes <laughs> more more of a legal process. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, we 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 we're good pals, um, and uh, I, Marble are a really they're an institution in Manchester. Um, you know, they emerged in the nineties, um, and they're just so well loved by by the by the beer scene. They can be outspoken at times, which is in in a really great way, I feel. And they have they have a they have a couple of pubs. They've got sort of a more more of a modern bar called Fifty Seven Thomas Street in the northern quarter uh, of which is like the sort of cool bar restaurant district of Manchester. Um, you're from Liverpool, you so you'll know. You'll know this, and um, they 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 are really just re- like really well respected by by the Manchester beer scene for what they've done for it, and they've they've always stuck to their own guns and uh, and stayed the same. And uh, uh, I, I just love them as a brewery. Uh, except the only thing is they don't make Dobra at the moment, and that's uh, it's unacceptable. And it, it, <laughs> I demand I demand it's brought back again. Well, I, I coincidentally I've been watching the uh, as as some comfort uh, in isolation. Uh, reached out for the first series DVD of the series Cold Feet, which is set mm. in Manchester. I think it was the first TV show to be set in Manchester and follow glamorous people like middle class people, as opposed to every other series about a northern town was about the downtrodden working class. Yeah, and Cold Feet was the first one, so it, it did definitely celebrate Manchester as a uh, a vibrant metropolitan city. So, um, despite all the characters being white, but uh, yes. <laughs> choice five, choice five. Um, this this is uh, I mean they're all very special beers but uh, I, I'm going to go a bit off the beaten track now and uh, this beer is from Burning Sky Brewery in in uh, a village called Furl in Sussex. So Burning Sky um, were set up by a brewer called Mark Tranter in 2013, um, and he uh, has was a brewer at Dark Star Brewery in Sussex for 17 years before that, um, and he helped develop a a beer at dark star called hophead which was was very popular and kind of a very important beer in like the changing perception of cask to something more something lighter and hoppier um and he's he's one of if not the best brewer in the country for me but when he opened burning sky he didn't just do this to make cask beers and, and ipas which they do and they do exceptionally well he started off a, a mixed fermentation program with with the first brew he made a saison called saison a la provision which is their their uh, house saison and they call it prov for short which is e- easier than me saying um <laughs> saison a la provision all the time so i'll say prov and um it's it's a 6.7 percent mixed fermentation saison that's aged for a minimum of three months in the fooders i say minimum because sometimes at three months it's ready and sometimes it takes longer it's the beer tells the brewers when it's ready not the other way around and it it was the first to my knowledge it was the first sort of core mixed fermentation beer released in the uk uh, and it and it's and it's never the same because it's it, it 
it's at the mercy of its of its yeast. The, the the base work that goes into the fooder is the same, uh, but it also became the base for a lot of their other beers, uh, like Cuvée, which where they blend their own beer with Girardin Gers from Belgium, Saison uh, Anniversaire, probably my favourite beer of theirs, where they age the, the the Prov in Chardonnay barriques for nine months, and they release that annually. Um, but it it, it was an it was an example of progression in British beer when when uh, I saw a lot of mixed fermentation and, and sour beer making in the USA. And obviously, we, we only Belgium is uh, when things are open. I can technically get to Brussels from my front door in two and a half hours. That's remarkable. You know, I can take the Eurostar and then it's 20 minute walk from the station to Cantillon. Um so you know that's you that's just a privilege. upset a lot of Australian <laughs> listeners right now. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. They're very um, happy you're in lockdown. <laughs> yes, I'm really sorry. But um, so, uh, Burning Sky are a marker in um, how progressive and mature British beer has become because they can make Plateau their 3.6 percent uh, or 3.9 percent. Um, cask beer which is wonderful but they also make the these wild and sour beers and they now make um they have a cool ship they make spontaneous uh fermented beer and and blend it as if like lambic but they won't call it that because they feel that's a belgian term and they they won't um uh, they won't use it because it's not theirs um but it, it really is a marker of, of where things have gone and from burning sky we've we've seen a lot of other bit breweries like like the wild beer co little earth project uh mills brewing um fine ales up in scotland who are known for their cask are doing mixed and spontaneous fermentation um it's really this this uh this frontier where 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 wine and beer and cider all get to be a bit blurred and also people are making wine and beer hybrids and 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 uh, beer and cider hybrids and it, but but provision was was the beer that kind of let people know that this was possible to do in the UK and that people would buy it that was the main thing people start making sour beer who's going to who's going to buy it? it it's 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 very niche uh, but burning sky approved there's a market for it and they they actually do a, a a sort of baby version called petite saison it's like um that's it's about 3% and it's a little bit of saison uh, blended in, uh, in a, and they, serve, they do it in four forty mil cans, and you, it's just so crushable. It's it's delicious. So um, it really is has demonstrated uh, that, that that people's palates are evolving. Um, but it's also just an excuse to give Burning Sky a shout out. Um, they're good pals of mine. They make amazing beer, um, and and uh, along with people people like Marble are really pointing the way for me for for British craft which is you know in terms of the 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 quality and range of beers they're just two breweries that are giants for me and it's and their attitude they they don't want to uh they're not pursuing growth they're pursuing community and and quality and things that are, are more important than just being big and selling lots of beer and that's really important to me you know so um shout out to Mark and the gang down at down in in Furl for making excellent beer yeah and i think that the whole thing about community and building um quality over growth is um probably will just show in this pandemic situation that we're in you know that that doesn't wash away as easily as just trying to superficially build a business and for money 
It's, um, mm. you know, if everything, if you lose everything, you still have your passion, your drive, your love for what you do. Um, mm. So it'll be very interesting to see how everything comes out after after all of this has, uh, has calmed down. And um, yeah, hopefully those people who are passionate and community focused are, are the ones who survive. Um, Matthew, you have taken us on a very, very good journey. I could talk uh for quite some length of time with you <laughs> but we're up to choice six so what's your sixth uh choice so choice six is where it all comes full circle and uh some people might guess uh what beer it's going to be uh from what i've written about and what i've talked about earlier so it was bitter that got me into this this incredible journey of beer with landlord and then discovering american ipas and then realizing that Lager was great, then realising British brewers could make beers as good as the Americans, and then realising that that um, that the boundaries for creativity in the UK are, are being pushed by, by breweries like Burning Sky and The Colonel. And um, then it all came back to realising, you know, being at peace with my own uh, enjoyment of beer and, and realising that at the end of the day, all I want is a good pint of bitter. And I love bitter that's well made. When I went to visit Burning Sky for the first time, uh, before I was taken to the brewery, Mark uh, picked me up from Lewis train station and said, uh, we've got to go to the local brewery before you can visit mine uh, because you have to go. And he took me to Harvey's Brewery, uh, which is called the Cathedral in in Lewis, the town. It's a bit of a weird spelling. It's L-E-W-E-S. And some people say Lewis, but it is pronounced Lewis. Um, and it's it's this wonderful quirky town that's kind of becoming a an annual pilgrimage for me because it's got great pubs. It's this sort of quixotic, idyllic uh, British town, and you've got Harvey's Brewery, and it's this old gravity-fed brewery, so it's an absolutely beautiful building. And he arranged a tour with the head brewer Miles Jenner, and uh, it's you know some of the equipment in there is is been going for for decades. And it's it's this maze, and they they ferment the beer in um, in square open fermenters, uh, so the, the the room is full of CO two and yeast esters. It smells of of ripe strawberries, and the lack of oxygen makes you a little bit dizzy. Um, and uh, and then you get to go to the tasting room at the end and and drink Harvey's Best, and Harvey's Best is a fascinating beer, and I've picked it because it's become like kind of a go-to beer for me because it's sessionable it's drinkable but it's got this complexity to it so the they've been using the same the beer was released in 1955 um and they've been using the same yeast for about 50 years i'm not sure it's the original yeast from 1955 but they actually i talked about how john smith's is terrible harvey's is actually made with the original john smith's yeast from tadcaster and they've been using ever since they took the strain. So Miles Jenner's dad, Anthony Jenner, was the previous head brewer. And he took the yeast from Tadcaster in Yorkshire and they've been using it ever since. They're not the only brewery that, to, to do this. J.W. Lee's in Manchester have been using the, their same yeast. They're on generation 5,000 and something. But the um, the Harvey, the yeast that Harvey's uses become its its own sort of sentient, uh, soul-bearing uh, being uh, it adds this weirdness they use it in all their beers and it actually has a, a yeast strain in it called Deboromyces which is related to Brit- Britannomyces but it's not quite the same it's a beer that it's a yeast that loves saline environments so you can find it on cheese and saucisson and and things like that 
and uh uh it adds this sort of almost not their wildness just in the background like on its surface harvey's best is this really balanced drinkable beer it's local malt local hops very british supremely drinkable but there's just something there and if you ever get to try an old bottle of their imperial stout in fact i've got one in the the cupboard i might i might open it this evening after having this conversation that's one of the only beers they don't pasteurize and let it um run amok the reason they pasteurize the beers is it's it it's it makes a lot of carbon dioxide uh they don't pasteurize the cask beers though that is, that is brewery fresh um so um if you talk to harvey's about it they don't they downplay it they're like they're it's just harvey's best is about being balanced but for me uh there's just something you can't quite put your finger on about it and it, it's a and it's a great example of why british cast beer is so special um and it's going to be the first beer i drink in a pub when all of this is over there's a pub in london um called the harp and it's in Covent Garden. I don't like going to Covent Garden because it's really touristy. It's not really what London is like. Uh, it is w- what it's like to tourists and visitors, but um, it's insanely busy and it's just shops and museums. And uh, I try and avoid it except to go to the Harp because the Harp is this wonderful pub. Uh, the the cellar manager, Carl Seville, keeps the best pints of Cascale in, in, uh, in the city. And they have Harvey's Best on permanently and they have done for 10 years and they sell they sell it in eighteen gallon casks, which hold about one hundred and forty four pints. And on a on a busy Saturday, they'll go through two of those. It's absolutely mad. Um, so uh, the, because they sell so much, uh, the throughput is so high. The beer is always in amazing condition, and they serve it with this dome of foam, um, and you get all this amazing aroma from the foam. And I swear, a pint lasts about ten fifteen minutes. It's just sensational. And I'm gonna go and try and drink the place dry that's what i feel like doing when it reopens uh, i'm sure a lot of other people will have the same idea but yeah the, the harvey's best is it, it it's the beer that that you know coming full circle and real. it took me 10 years to realize that what we had all along was special we you know i always tried to change british beer culture i wanted to bring in this this american influence that that inspired me and now we have all of that we've got tap rooms we've got every hazy ipa west coast ipa it's all there but now i've come back to like traditional british styles and why they're so amazing not all bitters are great uh, as like not all hazy ipa is great but harvey's sussex best is it's one of the best beers in the world and um I've made myself miss it terribly now that I know that I can't go and get one on cask. Um, but if you ever come and visit me, anyone in, in London, uh, that is where, and we go on a bit of a pub crawl, we'll start at the Harp and we'll we'll drink Harvey's and uh, we'll try and leave and go to some other places because it can be tempting just to, just to stay. Well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And uh, we've got um, a snack to go with the beers. What's your, what's your choice of favourite snack? Okay, so I've picked two because uh, I've, I've written two down and I uh, I can't decide on one. But I'm gonna the first one I'm gonna say is a little crisp snack called scampi fries. I don't know if anyone's ever had scampi fries. They've become like kind of a cult snack in the craft beer world here. Um, I I love them. I remember when I was up um, in Manchester for the Cloudwater event, I went to a meet the brewer with the guys from Green Bench Brewery in Florida, 
and it asked, like, have you eaten yet? It's like, oh, no, we just need a little snack. So I got a couple of bags of scampi fries, and they lost their minds over them. Like, oh, my God, these are amazing. <laughs> like, they never, like I, I couldn't believe their reaction. And I, I love scampi fries. I know some people think they're a bit weird and fishy, but that's part of the joy. Um, I think they go so well with, with beer. Um, but the other, the other snack I have to give a shout out to is, is pickled eggs. I love pickled eggs. Um, that like that they are anything pickled is great, but a, a, a good pickled egg and a pint, uh, is, is something I love. So if I had a good pickled egg, a bag of scampi fries and a pint, that's the Holy Trinity right there. I can tell that you've been in a long-term relationship because those <laughs> <laughs> those smelly foods. <laughs> I mean, scampi fries, you can still smell them on your fingers three hours later. I mean, yeah, they yeah. are a joy, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they're not going to win you any friends. But um, yeah, scampi fries, I think, yeah, pork scratchings, all that type of thing is, uh, yeah, we, we don't yeah. have enough of that uh, high-sodium food. There's too um, too many too many nights where I'll skip dinner and just had a bag or two of scampi fries that have ended in disaster though. So you know, <laughs> eating isn't cheating. No, and um, a receptacle to drink the beers out of. What's your what's your go to? What's your most common? What's the glass or the yeah, thing that you reach um, for most often? I've got a, again. I've uh, narrowed it down to two. Uh, but my favourite style of glass is the traditional German uh, Willy Becker, which is kind of like it's not quite a pint; it's like um, maybe maybe a two third like schooner size. Um, but it's it's kind of a straight glass that just tapers up uh, to to the to the top with a slight curve, and it, it's the perfect glass for so many styles, particularly the ones I like the best, which are uh, West Coast IPAs and lagers. Um, it's not not quite right for for bitter. Um, I do like a straight pint glass of bitter, but that's not one of my picks. Um, the other, uh, the other glass I love is the Czech Pilsner mug. Um, uh, really thick glass wall, big handle, so you can say Nazdravi cheers in in Czech and and clink glasses really really firmly. Um, and because I would never put a Czech Pilsner in a in a Willy Becker, and I'd never put a a German uh, Hellas in, in a in a Czech Pilsner mug. Um, so. But those those are the two I'd pick. I hate stemware. Uh, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna get that out off my chest now. Like I'm not a uh, I'm not a stem. You, you don't need to winify beer by putting it in a glass with a stem. Stemmed pint glasses are the worst thing ever. Like why would you make something that you, some breweries have those here in the UK? And I'm like, why would you make something that's already like big and awkward? Like add an extra bit to it to make it a bit more glamorous. Um, the Stella Artois that has the the chalice it's a stemmed pint glass. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, no, I'm not not a big um, when it comes to drinking beer. I like a, a straight glass, and the Willy Becker is the king of those. Uh, with the exception being when I'm drinking Czech Pilsner, it's got to be a, a proper Czech handled Pilsner glass. Um, and uh, I actually want, once went to a, a press event for um, Pilsner Equal, and and they engraved my Twitter handle <laughs> onto onto a Pilsner Equal glass. So I might I might get that out and uh, sink a few lagers from it later on this evening. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people uh, find find you online um, and f- yeah. follow what you're doing? I am very online. Um, I'm on Twitter constantly. Uh, 
Total Curtis is my handle. That's T O T A L C U R T I S. And I'm on Instagram with the same handle. Um, but also, please follow Pellicle, uh, my magazine. Pellicle Mag is the uh, Twitter and Instagram handle. And please, um, if you enjoy reading the articles, do share them uh, because we are a year old. We're, we're not a lot of people know about us yet. We're really proud of the content we're putting out. And uh, we just need to spread the word and uh, help people hear about us at the moment so yeah do share the articles and uh, drop us a line if you enjoy them we, r- we would really love to hear your feedback yeah absolutely i'll put all the links in the show notes for um all of those um things and also your podcast as well uh the pellicle and yep. um yeah i think it's important that people do share and support uh, a publication which uh pays all its contributors as well so um that's even more reason and the quality of journalism is superb in there. So, so, and I've really been enjoying the podcast, and particularly the episode on on cask beers um, was Great. fantastic. Uh, so, definitely, any fans of cask should uh, listen to that. Uh, I think it was episode two. Um, yeah, episode memory. two is is cask. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks so much, Matthew. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, take care in in London, and uh, hopefully next time. Uh, we catch up it'll either be in manchester for a pint and a marble or uh, in london or in australia or in melbourne when maybe. you come to melbourne I'll, I'll definitely take you out for a few pints and uh, show you what's happening in uh, in australia fantastic well thank you so much for having me on the podcast Ian. it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for really overindulging me <laughs> this, this is why i did this podcast <laughs> thanks so much matthew cheers so that was it Matthew Curtis from the Pellicle. Matthew just spoke with such passion and his journalism is very lyrical and evocative and he talks like that as well. It's so brilliant. And to get an insight into what's happening with Australian beer in Britain but also what's happening in the British scene is really fascinating. And Matthew at the end said it was indulgent uh, for him. It was certainly indulge my... Uh, cross interests and certainly talking about pubs like the Ship and Mitre and the Roscoe Head from my home city of Liverpool uh, did make me a, a twinge of homesickness happen to me there. But do check out the Pellicle. It's a beautiful, beautiful website and brilliant journalism there as well. In the show notes, all the links uh, for those things are there, as well as some of the uh, things that we mentioned during the podcast. And thanks for tolerating the uh, nearly cringeworthy uh, introduction with my co-host, Matt Lavery, from the Wheel of Sport podcast. It's a podcast we're really proud of, and you should give it a listen. Uh, The biggest compliment we've been paid is that people who don't like sport enjoy this podcast, and people who do enjoy sports love the podcast so it's definitely worth a listen and just some great tales uh, from the world of sport as mentioned midway through the episode i'm taking part in beer together the online youtube streaming channel uh, all of the things on there you can watch in retrospect so if you don't manage to catch the live stream uh, search beer together uh, we've got over 300 subscribers as we speak um, and th- big thanks to Luke from Ale of a Time and James from Crafty Pint, who are both previous guests on this show, but also they're driving the beer together and keeping local alive uh, as a hashtag and something that we can 
really focus and rally around is just fantastic at a difficult time and keep supporting local um, lots of breweries doing growler fills and lots of breweries doing uh, takeaways and cannibals and all those type of things uh, but also you know keep keep yourself healthy and keep yourself well and keep in touch as well get in touch with me through twitter the chosen brew uh, you can join up on the mailing list. I will send you a maximum of one email per year uh, by, by this rate. And you can follow me on Instagram. Do send me a message, leave a review. That would be really appreciated. And I'd love to hear from you and love to hear what you think about the podcast and um, what episodes you've really enjoyed as well. And any of them that have made you see uh, beer in a different way. So do reach out. And in the meantime, you can listen to the Wheel of Sports, but also listen to the Pellicle podcast as well. It is excellent. So really enjoying the episodes there. I can't wait for the next series. I'm off to wash my hands and not touch my face. But until next time, take care and we'll speak soon.